hopefully by this point, you are brimming over with festive cheer. Right? Hopefully you've had some, some apple cider, you've got some baking, we've had some cute kids uh, singing, most of them singing, some of them doing some other stuff, we're not sure what they're doing. Uh, and we've sung some carols, it's, and we've heard the story of Christmas. And uh, now we're going to take just a few minutes to uh, think about the meaning of the story of Christmas. And for us to do that, we need to go to the climax of the story, which is when the angels come before the shepherds there in the field, and they appear in the night sky, and they proclaim the, the good news of great joy. So here again, we heard it read, but here is the verse where we find this in Luke 2. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. So the angel is making very, very clear. Look, what this is all about is good news from God to the people of the world. And this is, this is good news of great joy. To clarify what exactly the news is, though, the angel continues. Because the shepherds may have heard that, but they don't know what, why is this so good? What's so great about it? Verse 11 and 12 uh, fills them in and us in. The angel continues, For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. Now the shepherds... Uh, probably would have already been fairly overwhelmed. There is a, an angelic being in the night sky, right? They weren't expecting that this evening. And now their overwhelmedness is going to be multiplied by a factor of thousands because there are going to suddenly be thousands of angels in the night sky. We see this in verses 13 and 14. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. That word there, host, it means the, the army of God. This is literally an army of angels that is now filling the night sky. Would have been brilliant light, symphonic sounds. This would have been a spectacle to behold. One that I think, if we were there, we would have really appreciated. Because if it's one thing uh, I know about human beings, we love spectacles of light and sound. Right? Whenever we go to the movies, we want the biggest screen and the biggest sound. In fact, if the sound is not big enough, we want to sit in a chair that rumbles when the sound is there. That's so we can fully immerse ourselves in the experience. We love big movies. We love firework shows. We, in fact, uh, take trips to up north to see the northern lights because it just is awe-inspiring to see the night sky filled with this kind of celestial light. There's, however, one show that came to my mind, uh, maybe to yours as well, when I thought of this angelic spectacle. Uh, this is a show that is put on uh, by a rock band called the Trans-Siberian Orchestra. Have you heard of this band? Uh, this is a rock band from the U.S., and uh, here's how they're described by the Washington Post. Uh, they say this, The Trans-Siberian Orchestra is a rock arena juggernaut where Pink Floyd and Yes and The Who all meet together at Radio City Music Hall. They have enough pyrotechnics in their stage show to be seen from the International Space Station. And so in case you haven't had the pleasure, uh, I'm going to show you a few images from uh, the show. This is the Trans-Siberian Orchestra. Uh, they have no shortage of lasers, uh, apparently. I'm not sure how people's retinas are not damaged. Um, in this next one, uh, is next, you can see the armature of the man with the rock guitar raised out over the crowd so that they can just cheer and the sound and the lights. There's one more that's uh, my favorite. Uh, that is a lot of light. Uh, that is, I think, a, just a guitar solo, and they're just rocking out. See, um, we love spectacles of light and sound. And so I think if we were there, uh, we would have really appreciated what the, what the shepherds saw. It would have been awe-inspiring, certainly overwhelming, but it would have been like, wow, this, this is amazing. That we would have loved. But the message itself, I think, would have been a little more difficult for us to swallow. 
Now, that may be because we, we simply don't uh, believe that what the angel said is true, that, that the child to be born was, in fact, the savior of the world and that he came in the way he, they said he came and that he was there for that purpose. But even before we get to the content of the message, the sheer enthusiasm of the message, I think, would have made us rather skeptical. I mean, good news of great joy. That word in the Greek, great, is mega, which means that the angel was saying this, is, this was a great news of mega joy. In some parts of the world, mega joy is acceptable. Uh, for example, in South America, I think that culture, from what I know of it, which obviously is quite vague, uh, they seem to be a very enthusiastic people. I mean, when I see their soccer stadiums, there, there seems to be great joy there, unless they're losing, and then it's great sorrow. Everyone's just devastated. But, but there's, they seem to be an emotional culture, one where you can have great big highs, celebrations, carnival. Here in the Northwest, we are not so enthusiastic. In fact, you might describe us as somewhat uh, cynical. So when we hear good news of great joy, we, we are skeptical. Um, unless it's from someone that we know. I got a text message the other week from a friend of mine, and attached to that message was uh, the trailer for the next Avengers, Infinity War. And his comments were just like 12 exclamation points with fireworks and with smiley faces. Clearly, he was filled with joy, but I know him. He's a, a total nerd, and so this was really exciting for him. That I buy. However, when we hear good news of great joy from those that we don't know, we tend to think this has got to be some sort of a sales pitch. No one is that excited about anything. And there's good reason why we have that skepticism, because there are a great number of people who are trying to sell us something, trying to take advantage of us by, by giving us some hopped up sales pitch. A few weeks ago, I heard an NPR story uh, about a con man who did just this. His name, this is his real name, David Diamond. So I think he had to be a con man, right? Growing up, what else is he going to be? So David Diamond, a uh, con man, he uh, set up a fake investment company in California. And over the time span of about two years, he got, uh, he got people to send him money just by talking to them on the phone. They sent him uh, close to $7 million, all told. This was, his, uh, this was his con. Now, the FBI finally caught him. And the way they did it was they set up a sting operation. So the FBI got uh, wind of a, a woman who was very, very uh, influenced, meaning whenever anyone would call her, she sort of compulsively would buy whatever they were selling. And so it was, it was actually really sad. She was, she was almost totally bankrupt. And so the FBI came to her and said, look, miss, um, we want to take your phone number away from you. It's, it's not good for you. And uh, we want to use it as bait to catch some of these people who are, who are preying on others. And so that's what they did. They took her phone number, and they had that phone number installed in the home of an FBI volunteer, which I didn't know was a thing, but now I think we all want to do that, right, to be an FBI volunteer. So there's a woman, uh, FBI volunteer. She pretended to be this other woman, and eventually David Diamond called. And so they, had, they recorded the conversations, and they uh, would play them on this news story. And as you might imagine, uh, David Diamond was really warm, very articulate. You kind of liked him right away, even though you knew that he was trying to take advantage of people. And uh, what he had in his pitch was a lot of uh, confidence and a lot of enthusiasm. I mean, he would, he would say things that just blew my mind. He would say to this woman, look, look, this investment strategy is so good. It's, so, it's proven. I mean, the people who are in charge of this fund, they have made millions already for the investors. It's so good that you need to either go all in or just forget about it. He said, this is so good that you need to either put in a million dollars or just forget it. That's how good it is. I'm just thinking that. Who believes this stuff? Like, who listens to this? 
I don't even answer my phone anymore. And if I do and someone sounds cheerful, I just hang up because I'm sure that they are trying to sell me something, right? We know that the person on the other end of the line, they don't really have good news. What they have is some ploy to, to take from us. And that's in fact, sadly, what David Diamond did. He fleeced a number of people for their entire life savings. So we tend to be skeptical of good news. In fact, we prefer to live kind of in a cocoon of skepticism where we figure, look, if there is, if there is good news, if there's joy out there, I'll find it on my own, right? You don't need to tell me, don't worry, I'll go looking for it. I will find this, this good news, whatever it is, and that's what we do. We do find things that we enjoy in life. We find things that, that we love, that, that we enjoy participating in. However, in our pursuit of joy, we also come to the conclusion that real joy, lasting joy, is, is pretty tough to come by. I mean, we have things that we love, but those things either don't fully deliver or they don't last. I mean, even the TV shows that we love, they get canceled, right? How many of us are watching through a Netflix and then you get to the end, you're like, what? It's only been eight seasons. This is part of my life now. How can you take this from me? Keep making more. It just doesn't, doesn't last. Even our favorite people, we don't see them enough. We don't see them as much as we would want to. They tend to move away. Our favorite places tend to get developed or they're, they're too far away from us. We can't go there as much as we would like. Or it could be, it could be that we have found uh, the perfect life. It's probably somewhere in Port Moody. They tell us all the time that's the best place to live. <laughs> so let's say that you're living there and, and you found the perfect life. The problem there is that eventually you will get too old to fully enjoy that life. This is the reality of living in our world, the reality of being human. And so all of this makes the words of the angels unique. Let's look at them again. They say, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. There's a lot of hyperbole there. Clearly, this is a message of great enthusiasm. Even just the scope is, is hyperbolic. To think that everyone everywhere is going to like anything, I mean, this can't be true. And yet what we see here the big difference with this good news of great joy is that there is no ask at the end of it. You notice that? That the angels are just proclaiming what God has done. There's no request for capital. There's no appeal for investment. There's nothing that we need to contribute for this to be indeed good news of great joy. In fact, what we see is simply the angels proclaiming what God has done for humanity. Look at verse 11 again. They explain, for unto you is born this day in the city of David, a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Now that word Savior is a, as a signal for us in terms of what kind of good news this is. This is not the kind of good news that is a golden opportunity that we need to invest in to get something from. This kind of good news is good news that is in response to an existing problem. See, if, if you were to talk to uh, someone in your life, a professional, someone who's helping you with something, and they, they said to you, look, I've got good news, you would probably not be very skeptical. You would be eager. Why? Because you know you have a problem and, and, and you need some help. Maybe it's your mechanic or your contractor or your doctor. And whatever they're going to tell you, the, the, the solution that they give, depending on the size of your problem, your joy is going to increase in, in the same amount. Uh, for example, if your mechanic calls you up, you've taken your car in and uh, your mechanic calls you up and says, look, I've got good news. You would be, well, what is it? I'm I'm eager to hear. He says, look, uh, your car is actually fine. You just need to top up your power steering fluid. That's why it's got that weird noise. I, there's nothing really that needs to be fixed. You can come pick it up. It'll be like just a few dollars. You, there's good news there of 
maybe not great joy, but pretty good joy, right? You thought that you'd have to spend a few hundred dollars instead. Now it's, it's done already. It's maybe 20 bucks. That's great. That's good news that you want to hear. If you invite your contractor over to look at a, a water in the basement, like there's always water, it's wet down there. You're, you're nervous. Is there a crack in the foundation? There's something big going on. And after examining it for a bit, your contractor calls you down and says, look, I've got good news. Your response is, well, what is it? He said, look, that there's just, when it was finished, a finishing nail just punctured one of the water lines and it's been leaking slowly. That, that's the only problem. So all we gotta do is cut out this drywall. We gotta replace the line. It'll take like a day or two. It won't be that big a deal. And that's good news. That's a pretty good amount of joy because you thought maybe thousands of dollars, who knows what that could have been, but instead the solution made you joyful. Even more so if you get this word from your doctor. If you had some tests done and the doctor calls you in and she says, look, look, I've got good news. The cyst that we detected, it's, it's benign, it's not malignant. And you think, so I don't have to go through any treatment? No, she says, no, it's, it's fine. We'll do a small operation. It'll be taken care of. It, it, it's all good. Man, that, that is good news of great joy because you had in your mind that you were gonna have to undergo all sorts of therapy. You weren't sure what your life was gonna be like from there on out. And now the good news is really joyful news because it's in response to a real issue. That's the kind of news that we have here in the Christmas story. It's good news in response to an existing problem, one that humanity has had since the very beginning, or almost the very beginning, and that problem is sin. See, sin is the essential and persistent flaw in the greatness of humanity. It's a flaw that uh, resulted in the world we now live in. Now, as we look around, we know that the world, there's greatness in the world. I mean, I've got some great things on my Christmas list. There's some cool stuff out there, things that we enjoy. Life itself has got so many experiences that are a blessing to us. We have civilization and culture and arts and, and leisure. All of that is great, but, but we also know that this world is a broken world. It's a world of, of selfishness. It's a world where the wealth is not distributed equally. It's a world where people take advantage of each other, where there's betrayal, where there's heartache. The Bible says that all of that stems from sin. Sin which exists in each human heart. It's a disposition which has turned us from going God's way to going our own way, to living in our own wisdom. And in that sin, we have uh, the world around us. Sin explains our yearning for joy, but also our frustration at never being able to grasp it. It explains the feeling of, of wrongness that we have in the world. Even whether we're inside the church or out of it, we have a sense that things aren't quite right. And it also explains our fear of death, for death itself is a consequence of our sin. All of this means that for us to have any genuine joy in life, our sin first needs to be dealt with. And what we find in the story of Christmas, in, in the good news being proclaimed, is that that's exactly why Jesus came to earth. We heard it read already uh, from Matthew, but here it is again. Here's what the angel says to Mary. It says, She, that is Mary, will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. That's why Jesus came. He came as a child. The Son of God came as a child so that he could live the perfect life that we can't live in our sin. And so that he would go to the cross and take on the death that we deserve. And then in his resurrection, we have the hope of, of life eternal. That's, that's the hope that God wanted for us. Not some meager sense of hope that we find here in this world. Hope that doesn't ultimately satisfy, but a heavenly hope. Now, heaven itself is tough to imagine. 
because we have in our minds uh, uh, clouds and angels and harps, and there will, there will be some of those things. There'll be angels there. There probably will be a harp or two, but, but what the Bible says really is that heaven is the earth made perfect. It's everything that we appreciate and enjoy here on earth, but it's that forever in the presence of God. And so with that in mind, then all of the good things that are here on earth are but a, a foretaste of heaven. I kind of think of it like this. This might be helpful. I'm not sure if anyone's been to, um, there's a gelato place uh, on Venables on the way in to, uh, to downtown Vancouver. You know, it's all pink. If you go inside, there's even more pink and there's like hundreds of flavors. So I took my kids there in the summer and uh, what I, at this place, you can get as many taste, tasters as you want. So I said, guys, look, look, there's everything you could ever want. Um, go and taste as much as you want until you find the flavor that you love the best. So they went and they were tasting everything. And of course, they gravitated towards the really brightly colored dyed stuff, with tons of sugar like bubble gum and birthday cake. Eventually, though, they found what they loved. They said, Dad, I found it. I got the best flavor. They're, they're so excited. Now, imagine if I said to them at that point, okay, guys, let's get in the van. We're leaving. We're done. We just, we just came to taste. We're not actually getting any ice cream. <laughs> there would be, <clears throat> there'd be violence, right? There'd be a lot of tears. There'd be sorrow. Uh, because the whole point of the tasting was to whet the appetite for the satisfying cone that would come. They could just smear all over their faces and just be totally satisfied. That, that's what they were longing for. And in, listen, in the same way, every good thing on this earth is, is really just a tasting spoon for heaven. It's just a little bit to whet our appetite of the glories of heaven, of the joys of heaven where there will be no anxiety, nor sorrow. We will be in the presence of God, our creator, we will wake up each morning knowing that this would be a great day. There's joy eternal. That, that is the hope of Christmas. That's the joy of Christmas. The very fact that there are things that we enjoy here, but we're not totally satisfied about should tell us that there's something more to come. But for us to have that joy, we need to know Jesus because Jesus himself is the, is the savior, the Messiah, the anointed one the one who came and lived in our place so that we could, so we could have access to that joy. The hope of Christmas, the, the, the message of Christmas, what the angels proclaim, it's, it's not hyperbole. It's not an over-exaggeration. They really are proclaiming the greatest news of the greatest joy that, that anyone will ever hear. And so there's a reason for the big light show and the, the proclamation because they, they're communicating something that resounds in the heart of each human being. That's the hope of Christmas. And we are going to end our time by singing about uh, that hope. We're going to sing a carol called All Holy Night. And before we sing it, I want to read to you uh, the words of the first verse because they really do kind of encapsulate all that uh, we have in the meaning of Christmas, the joy of Christmas. So here are the words themselves. Oh, holy night, the stars are brightly shining. It is the night of our dear Savior's birth. No long lay the world in sin and error pining till he appeared and the soul felt its worth. The thrill of hope, the weary world rejoices for yonder breaks a new and glorious morn. Fall on your knees. Oh, hear the angel voices. Oh, night divine. Oh, night when Christ is born. I'm gonna pray for us and then we are gonna sing this and we're gonna also light some candles. It's gonna be great. Uh, Lord, thank you so much for the story of Christmas. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that out of your love for us, you came to address our greatest need, our greatest problem. Jesus, you came to rid the world of sin, and you did it with compassion and grace. 
Jesus, I pray for each one of us here. God, I pray that we would, we would come to know you fully as Savior and Lord. I pray, Lord Jesus, for this Christmas, Lord, with whatever heartaches are going on in our own lives, God, that you would bring comfort and joy into our lives through your work in coming to earth and in going to the cross. And I pray now, Lord, that you would bless us as we sing this final tune. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen.